When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we had the UFC 295 card over the weekend from Madison Square Garden out there in New York City. Alex Pereira wins the light heavyweight championship over Yuri Prohaska. Tom Aspinall wins the interim heavyweight title over Sergei Pavlovich. And aside from that, man, a lot of people got knocked out on this card. In fact, five consecutive KO or TKOs on the main pay-per-view card. None of the fights made it out of the first or second round. Maybe that's to be expected when you got a heavyweight fight and a 205-pound fight up there at the top of the card. But Nothing to argue with when the featherweights and the women's strawweights are out there knocking each other out, too. I'll tell you what, get me in and out of a UFC in a couple hours, I'm not complaining. Yeah, I mean, those of us who uh, really, really would like to see that big bet on majority or split decision come through one of these days, uh, you know, we had some mixed feelings about it. But I got to say, once again, it is a breath of fresh air to go back to a packed arena, in this case, mm-hmm. Madison goddamn Square Garden, and have what feels like real UFC shows again after you get used to just apex, apex, apex. Uh, you get that crowd energy, um, even if some of the crowd maybe aren't our favorite people to see show up and then repeatedly shown on the broadcast over and over again, while I assume John Anik has to tell himself mentally, don't mention the indictments. Don't mention the indictments, John. If you mention the indictments, it's all over. And yet still, a good time was had by all, I think. Although, Chad, I got to tell you, man, I'm sitting there. I'm watching this main event, watching it on ESPN Plus pay-per-view, as you are forced to do, streaming the damn thing the way they make you. And just as Yuri Prohaska falls to the mat, my stream freezes. Oh, no. That's the worst time. Yeah. The worst fucking time. When the shit starts over again, I see Alex Pereira celebrating. I go, okay, I think I can piece together here more or less what happened. But in a case like this, where I look online, everybody's talking about that as an early stoppage. I needed that moment yeah. to tell if Yuri Prohaska passed the what the fuck test. Yeah, And wow. I was denied that in real time. I had to wait for the replay. You know, as a Big Sky Conference football fan, you do not have to tell me about your frustrations with the ESPN Plus service because I know all too well what can go wrong over there. But that is just, 
That's terrible timing. That's one of the worst uh, freezes that I've ever heard of in terms of an internet broadcast, because not only did you miss the stop, but you missed the talking points for after the fight. Now, I assume, owing to the internet, that you were able to go back and review the footage and now we'll probably have an opinion on the stoppage as we move into round number one. But that, by that time, your vision is is colored. Your vision yeah. has been affected by the discourse. And so you can't look at it with fresh eyes. You can't come in there and give me your honest opinion. You already know what everybody else said about it. Plus, you force me to end my night saying out loud to no one, what the fuck? <laughs> there I don't is like that. that. There is that. Uh, Maybe not coincidentally on this fight card, Ben, the UFC handed out seven post-fight bonuses. What? They will bankrupt the company, Chad. Yeah, man. 350,000 paid out as post-fight bonuses. Think Uh, of the shareholders. Yeah, this week, also known as the money that Dana White accidentally leaves on the inside pocket of his suit jacket when he takes it to the dry cleaners. $350,000. Can't do that every week or else... uh, you know, maybe Ari wouldn't be able to buy a mansion in the Bahamas or whatever. Uh, you've also got Bellator 301 coming up this weekend. And so we will spend some time on the show talking about that. But mostly we're breaking down the particulars from this UFC 295 card. A reminder, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and your podcast libraries. But if you're not satisfied... If you find yourself pining for more of that hot CME action, you can find us over on Patreon all week. Hit us up, patreon.com slash co-main event, and get loads of extra audio and video content as well as access to our official Discord message board. Ben Folks and I, plus the coolest people in MMA, are constantly chatting it up over there on any number of topics. The only rule on the board is no assholes right now. We're offering a seven-day free trial at the $5 level of the Patreon. You can jump on board absolutely for free. Check out all the content happening over there. Take a look, bathe your ears in it, and then decide if you want to join up for real. Everybody knows we're a completely independent podcast. We don't have the backing of a big parent company or one of the MMA websites. We're just two guys talking into these microphones, and we've been doing it for over a decade. The truth is we can only keep doing it with your support. Help the CME stay alive by joining up and become part of the awesome community over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Now, Ben, last week we did the hard sell for the daddest yeah. man on the planet coffee mugs over at the CME merch shop. And I can say happily that we sold some mugs this week. Some people yeah. took us up on our advice and they thought, I'm going to get out in front of my Christmas shopping right now and get the dad in my life one of these mugs. And so there's some people out there crossing stuff off their list already. The rest of you jump on, get the daddest man on the planet coffee mug while you still can. Yeah. You don't want to wait too late and run up against some, some delayed shipping timelines as everybody's trying to get their stuff through the mail in advance of Christmas. You want to think ahead. I already told him about the shipping. I already told him. I already warned him. Order this shit or it might not show up till January. You also want to think about, Chad, what if you had to get a gift for, say, a coworker, an uh-huh. office mate, a yeah. colleague? Now, you know, you, you don't want to spend a ton of money on that person, but no. you also, yeah. you, want, you don't want to show up empty handed. 
what if you were to get them and are you fucking kidding me mug? Oh, wow. We got those two. We got those. I got one. I use it damn near every day. The The meaning is kind of lost since I work from home and mostly alone here. But if you had to give something as sort of like a, hey, I have a sense of humor. You have a sense of humor. Here's a mug. It, we got a lightning bolt to like blur it out so it doesn't technically say, are you fucking kidding me? But everybody gets the point. I think everybody gets the point. Again, another great thing about this mug, the person you give it to does not have to be a listener, does not have to understand what this podcast is even about, does not have to be aware of its existence to enjoy the mug itself. That's part of what makes it just good merch. Think about it. If you want to get in on any of that, you go to our merch shop, go to comainevent.com and click the link at the top of the screen that says shop. As always, we're partnering with our friends at Superconductor on the shop. They are a brand and design studio from Portland, Oregon. We can't recommend them highly enough. For all your design needs, hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on IG at Studio Superconductor. We got music this week from our friend, The Fifth Element. He's a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check him out on Twitter at The Fifth Element or on Facebook.com at slash The Fifth Element or SoundCloud.com slash The Fifth Element Official. Ben, how does he spell the word the in Fifth Element? I believe that would be T-H-A. That's correct. Yes, you've been paying attention. Yeah. Here over the last 10 years or so. T-H-A, the fifth element. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, it was going good for Yuri P. Until it wasn't. Yeah. Now, all hail Alex Pereira. Perhaps the weirdest champion light heavyweight has ever had. And you know what? There's some competition. Yeah. There's some competition up there at 205 for the weirdest champion ever. In round number two, let the big man cry. Tom Aspinall comes down with all the feels after defeating Sergey Pavlovich to become your new UFC interim heavyweight champion. And in round number three, for whom the bell tolls, Bellator, it tolls for thee, probably. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. Ben, my 11-year-old daughter stabbed me in the back last week. Oh no, Chad, that, yeah, that seems like, uh, I mean, I got some follow-up questions. I think I need to hear more about that. Let me just tell you, she went into the bathroom and stole my fragrance discovery sets from Fulton and Rourke, and she'd been using them on herself ever since. People who listen to the show know that Fulton and Rourke is a longtime sponsor of the CME. They sell the finest grooming products that I have ever personally used. They're cool guys. They're MMA fans. We like them, and so should you. Last week, they were kind enough to send us a big-ass care package in the mail. So I was sitting pretty. I had a bunch of new Fulton and Rourke stuff to try out. And the cool thing about these discovery sets is that they let you sample a bunch of different stuff before you go ahead and buy a full-sized container. So I was excited. Then I turn around. They're gone. My daughter stole them, and she's been using them nonstop on herself ever since. A lot of people would call that the ultimate betrayal. Yeah, yeah, they would. Uh, you know what, though? It's actually been a win-win because now the bathroom in our house, it smells like Fulton and Rourke stuff instead of terrible $3 brand perfume that she bought at Target, which is called, and I am not making this up, Pastel Skies. Okay. You know, I was in a band called Pastel Skies <laughs> once. We, uh, yeah. we were not popular because we mostly just did drugs. 
I used to have some of your guys' eight track cassette tapes, mm-hmm. I think. Pastel yeah. skies. Uh so yeah, it doesn't smell like pastel skies up there now. It smells like Fulton and Rourke scents, like Cloudland and Thousand Palms, which actually smell good instead of bad. Well, here's some good news, Jen. As always, CME listeners can save 20% with the coupon code CME20. And Tuesday through Thursday of this week, any purchases you make from Fulton and Rourke will come with spray samples of both Thousand Palms and Cloudland. So maybe you can get your stuff back. Cloudland is wild, man. It's the brand new skin scent that changes based on your body chemistry to create a subtle fragrance with notes of fresh rainfall. And Thousand Palms is an intensely fresh scent with notes of bell pepper, white florals, and incense. I'm confident they are unlike anything you've worn before. You heard it here straight from our mouths. CME listeners can save 20% with the coupon code CME20. And don't wait. Jump on in for this week's special, where Tuesday through Thursday, any purchase you make from Fulton & Rourke will come with spray samples of both Thousand Palms and Cloudland. Check it out at FultonandRourke.com. That's FultonandRourke.com. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Scott, who writes, Can Benoit St. Denis just get up and to a title shot against Islam already? This dude is the best lightweight fighter the UFC has. Stop with the Poirier and Gaethje champions PGA Tour round robin that is clogging up lightweight. St. Denis versus Islam would be fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. So I yeah, think there's Scott, four. there's four fire I emojis. I think Scott thinks that that would be good. Yeah. Uh, Benoit St. Denis went out there in a slugfest with Matt Frivola, like we all knew it was going to be, knocked him out with a head kick one minute and 31 seconds into the first round. I got to say, uh, he looks good, man. 27 years old. Love the nickname. God of War. And he's got five consecutive wins now in the UFC, all of them by stoppage, submissions, and TKOs. So he's sort of well-rounded. He's coming to us from Bayonne, France. So you got to like that. What do you think? Should we Do we hot shot this guy, hot shot him straight into a title shot? Or do we let uh, the old dogs of the division continue to fight it out? You know, for one thing, I was actually a little bummed with how quickly this fight ended, even though it did clinch the parlay that was my my lone winning bet for people who were following along with the $20 we never want to see again segment over on Friday's Power Hour. The parlay I got from former professional wrestler Raven, who you might recall, Chad, has been trying to get me to adopt the Raven system for some time now. I did. This one cashed uh, with Benoit Saint-Denis being, Benoit Saint-Denis being the last one. In the, and the Discord just went crazy over this one. Uh, also, Raven asked me, Chad, to personally tell you to, quote, suck it wow. after this parlay hit. Uh, Did the thing you come is, out though, on the winning side of things? Did you make money this week? We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later this week. Because uh, I we did. Don't need to, we, don't need to talk, we don't need to dwell on I that did. right now. I made We're money talking. with my bets. <laughs> anyway. I was actually a little bit bummed because these guys were having themselves a fun-ass fight. Yeah. The grappling exchange alone, I was like, hell yeah. Give me a fucking butterfly guard sweep. We're going top to bottom, bottom to top. We're all over the place scrambling, doing some awesome grappling. And then boom, just kicks him straight in the face. And that is it. I did think it was funny where... St. Denis is on the mic afterwards talking about all the other lightweights he had fight. And then they showed Justin Gaethje, who he had not mentioned. (laughs) 
And, you know, Justin Gaethje looking a little bored, looking a little bit like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, and then he was like, okay, yeah, no, him too. Like, I'm a fan of Justin Gaethje. I would like to fight him as well. Uh, and it did sort of remind you, like, okay, we've been doing this thing of, like, name value guys who have as many as one wins recently. And that's really what we're talking about uh, with a lot of these lightweight contender questions. And it sort of reminds you, as we have said with other divisions at times, where it seems like there's two divisions. There's the one with a bunch of guys kind of coming up, winning fights. And then there's a one with guys where it's like three, four guys who are MMA famous. Yeah. And those guys can way more easily get slotted into a title shot than the guys who just seem like they have a whole lot of momentum and a good winning streak just because they're not yet MMA famous. They're just other guys in the division who seem like they might, in fact, be really good. Yeah. How do you get from there to here? You know, that's a, that's a great question. I'm never going to sit here and tell you that we shouldn't do nice stuff for Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier because those guys have earned it. On the other hand, I do think that this division could use an injection of young talent, guys on the come up instead of guys who are either over the hump in terms of the, you know, getting onto the latter stages of the career or guys who are just treading water up there. I would like to see some young bloods get some opportunities. And Benoit St. Denis is definitely one of those guys. Now, how you get there, how you break into the, uh, to the elite up there at the top of 155 pounds, I think you got to keep knocking people out. I think you got to keep kicking MFers in the head, even though it disappoints Ben folks as there won't be any more awesome grappling. Yeah. But I think that's how you, uh, how you get your name in there. That's how other guys have done it. You become a fan favorite. You have awesome fights. You keep winning fights. So it's, it's, uh, it's easier said than done at 155 pounds. And if I had to say one thing that might be a bit of a bummer for Scott is that Benoit Saint-Denis is very good. He is creeping on a come up for sure. The bad news is he is not currently ranked in the UFC lightweight rankings, at least not from last week. I bet he will be in there this week because he just defeated number 14, Matt Frivola. Remains to be seen where Benoit Saint-Denis will debut. And despite the fact that those rankings are completely meaningless, yeah, they do seem to dictate some of the matchmaking decisions made over there at the UFC. They don't mean a damn thing in the UFC, except for when the UFC would like them to. Yeah, when they want them to. That's that's when it uh, that's when it works for them. All right, here's one from Rob Reynolds, which is a little bit long, but I am going to read it. The subject line says, "My girlfriend and MMA," but I will just tell you, this is a different kind of email than you might expect from okay. that subject line. So here's what it says. So I just finished watching UFC 295, and what I saw was an avalanche of rightists. I saw Jordan Peterson, Tucker Carlson, Kid Rock, and Donald Trump with at least one of his sons. I say that to say my girlfriend was asking me whether I was free one Saturday in January. It turns out to be January 6th. haha. And I figured out somewhat quickly that she was getting me MMA tickets for my Christmas. There's a local show near where I live, and she asked me if I wanted her to go with me. And I had to think about it. And the thing I had to think about was bringing my leftist Latin girlfriend to a sport that has drifted and now is outwardly embracing the more unsavory aspects of the right. I had to think, is she going to be safe there? I had to think, what is she going to think if someone spouts off about some conspiracy theory about vaccines or how January 6th was no big deal? I never really had to think about that when this sport 
in with this sport really ever. I just liked the, what I liked and had no problems sharing it with people, even fighting with people over what I enjoyed. This was back in the time where a lot of mainstream sports fans did not accept the UFC. I guess there's no question here, just a comment on losing something I used to really enjoy without thinking about it. Now, yeah. here's the thing that I think about this. I understand the, the, uh, the hesitance here. And I think when the UFC does this, AKA just taking on black rifle coffee company as one of its main sponsors, let alone trotting out, uh, Jordan Peterson and Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump. Uh, it's, it's taking for granted and or, uh, forgetting and, or maybe just not caring that there are a lot of non-white people of color out there who are UFC and MMA fans. And all you got to do is go to a live event. You've been to a lot of our live events. I've been to a lot of live events. There are a lot of people out there in those arenas who are not the stereotypical meathead, white male, right wing UFC fan. There's a lot of those people out there. And the UFC right now just seems to maybe not care at all about that. And I think that's incredibly sad. You know, what I was thinking about when I watched the UFC broadcast making a big deal about Donald Trump uh, entering. And first of all, seeing the clip where it's Dana White, Donald Trump, Kid Rock, Tucker Carlson, all sort of walking four abreast there into the arena and just like, what a fucking brain trust that is, man. Just what are those guys going to talk about uh, when they get in a room together? I really, I just, it would make you dumber if you heard it. And the second thing I thought about was, is Madison Square Garden for a UFC event the one place Donald Trump could go in New York City right now and be cheered? Yeah, I saw when they put him up on the uh, big screen and the people cheered in, in MSG. I was like, well, that's as good an example as you can have that the UFC is currently attracting a specific cross-section of the public because there is no place in America that Donald Trump is hated more than New York fucking city, man. Yeah. I had some friends who live in New York and when Donald Trump became a guy, a capital G guy on the national political scene, they were just like, it blew their minds. They were like, this doesn't make any sense. This is the fucking weirdest thing I've ever heard. Uh, Donald Trump has been an object of ridicule in New York for decades. One of the reasons why he had to move to Florida in the first place was that no one would do business with him in New York City anymore because they knew he was just a hot air balloon with nothing inside it who would not pay you, not pay his workers, yeah. not pay his debts, not pay his loans. And people were pretty much like, no, we're not doing this anymore. So he lit out for Florida like a thief in the night. And now here you got him in MSG. People are cheering. Oh, those people must have drove in from somewhere else. As, as, that's what I, that's the only thing I can think of. Well, and the other thing was, I remembered back to the pandemic when Dana White was saying he had explicitly told USC commentators not to talk about the pandemic, even as it was affecting all the shows that they were doing, where you had a point there where you almost never got through a UFC event, where you didn't have a fight pulled on the week of the fight because somebody tested positive for COVID-19. And Dana White was saying, he told them, don't talk about it because the UFC is a respite from that. The UFC is a respite from that aspect of the real world. Now here you are, the UFC has decided to just lean hard right wing. And it's difficult to tell exactly to the extent that like, is it because Dana White himself is hard right wing? You know, he keeps showing up at the Republican National Convention making speeches in support of Donald Trump. Is it because they see that that is 
maybe an opening in the sports landscape that the UFC could embrace, that its fans might already more so than a lot of other sports lean right wing. And so it could do that. It might be a combination of all of it. But it's like the UFC used to tell you, hey, this was a place away from the world of politics and away from, you know, social causes and stuff like that. We, You can come here, you can forget about all that, and you can just enjoy some fights. But then when Dana White is like, look at me with the four horsemen of the Republican apocalypse showing up and the and the... The broadcast keeps going back to it, keeps making a big deal about how we got Donald Trump there and keeps keeps doing all this stuff to remind you that that's what we're doing. You're no longer doing that thing. You were saying, we, we want this to be a respite until it's my own personal stuff that I like. It's kind of like the same people who want to get on Twitter and tell you, like, keep politics out of sports, except for when it is the political views that I personally agree with. And... I do think that the UFC just sort of assumes, like, for one thing, I think Dana White does not give a shit. I think he has never really cared that much about what the fans of the UFC actually want, which, as evidenced by his response whenever somebody asks him, hey, could you maybe put together this big fight that we would like? And he's just like, fuck you, don't care. (laughs) But I also think that the UFC just has sort of made this calculation where they go like, okay, hey, if everybody else is trying to be an open and inclusive sport that everybody could be welcome in. What if we were just the opposite and we just, we leaned hard right wing. We attract other brands that want to lean hard right wing, like the Black Rifle Coffee stuff, or brands that need a little right wing backup, like Bud Light. Yeah, I think the UFC has kind of made that calculation. And I also think it sucks for the rest of us who are just like, I don't know, man. Maybe it's weird for you guys to keep hailing as a hero the guy who is here in between court appearances and he's sitting next to the guy who identified as a television personality, Tucker Carlson, which no, 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 he is not anymore. He was a television personality until he was basically run off television for constantly lying and shit. And even lying about his own coverage of the guy sitting next to him. And then everybody's good friends. Everybody stays friends and everybody makes money, as Jimmy McNulty says, Chad. Yeah. In answer to Rob's specific question, my guess is you'll probably be okay. Yeah. Uh, But I understand the concern. I have stopped going personally to local MMA events for the most part because I have seen some scary shit happen in the cage. uh, Because they are frequently poorly regulated, poorly officiated, etc., etc., but in terms of like what's going to happen in the crowd, I mean, there's going to be some dumb fucks there, man. Anything you go to, there's going to be some dumb fucks there. But I would, you know, I would think you'll probably be okay, is yeah. my guess. Next question this week comes to us from David Lauderay, who writes subject line, attacking a bus like you do and oh shit. So I'm downtown in New York City protesting daylight savings time like you do. Next thing I know, the bus pulls up and this bus pulls up and stops at least six inches inside the crosswalk arrows. Shit, you know me. I was hyped knowing UFC 295 was just around the corner. Big men, meat slapping and whatnot. I started talking shit. Hey, bus, fucking bitch, tires and shit. You're a Miata. Next thing I know, some unknown UFC fighter named Jamal Hill jumps out, and I was like, shit, but it's cool. I like my chances since nobody knows who he is, so he can't be that good. Or then, But then our actual lord and savior, Robert Glenn Lawler, jumps out behind him and goes southpaw, and then I died. Anyway, can you imagine <laughs> attacking a vehicle because they invaded your personal space during a protest and fucking Jamal Hill and Robbie Lawler jump out? Jesus, my 
my bad. I'm cool with daylight savings time. Did you see this story? Yeah, it was weird. Really weird, in fact. I couldn't tell. Uh, so basically, there's a bus taking UFC people to the event. It's got Jamal Hill. It's got Robbie Lawler. It's got Corey Sandhagen in it. Uh, they're driving through New York City. They encounter a pro-Palestinian protest in the streets. From the story I was reading on MMA Junkie, uh, it was unclear, but perhaps suggested that they just tried to drive their van through it. Which, I, I don't people know. I like don't, that. I don't want to say that's that what they were well. doing, but that's kind of what the impression was left here. Anyway, people David surround- Lauderay makes it sound like maybe they were blocking the box, which is anybody who has uh, been and in, in walked the streets of Mount Manhattan will tell you. Don't block the box. Don't you block the box, Chad. In any case, things get heated. Jamal Hill wants to jump out of the van, it sounds like, to maybe start regulating. But here's the part that I like. Isn't he injured? uh, Isn't he out injured? What the hell? Yeah, but not, you know, not too injured to whip some ass in the streets, Ben. Bro, you Uh, already hurt yourself in a pickup basketball game. I don't know if you want to be out here mixing it up with protesters and be out, you know, another year. So here is the quote from Brian Butler, a MMA manager from Sucker Punch Entertainment, as quoted by MMA Junkie. And I just want to read this quote. He says, Robbie had probably one of the most Robbie Lawler moments. He was just saying, conserve your energy. If these doors open, we're going to need every ounce of it. It was very Robbie because he was just sitting there still. Meanwhile, on the other end of the van, Jamal is getting very irritated with people. Once Jamal calmed down, everything was good. I mean, doesn't it just kind of warm your heart in a way to know that Robbie Lawler just stays Robbie Lawler, no matter where he is, no matter where he goes, no matter like when the last Robbie Lawler fight you got to see was just, you can kind of just close your eyes at any moment in the day and be like, he's out there somewhere. I can feel it just (laughs) being Robbie Lawler. Yeah. One thing we can say with full confidence is that Robbie Lawler is not acting. It is not an act. The thing that he does here in the UFC because he is like that all the time. Next question this week comes to us from Darkwing Duck. He writes, should whoever is Mackenzie Dern's coaches be brought up on charges? Wow. So Mackenzie Dern goes out there over the weekend, Ben Folks, against Jessica Andrade, goes with the very weird game plan of apparently seeming to want to stand and bang with perhaps the most feared stand and banger in the women's strawweight division, Jessica Andrade. Ends up losing by second round TKO, three minutes and 15 seconds there into the second round in a fight where she had been hurt and dropped a couple of times before that, but just seemed like she wanted to keep throwing that leather, keep keep going stand up punch for punch with Jessica Andrade. And we all, if you know, hey man, if you've been around, you know what Mackenzie Dern is good at. She's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialist. Mm-hmm. I can remember her shooting for what seemed like maybe one sincere takedown in this fight uh maybe two i don't remember it wasn't that many and mostly throw she did manage to throw and then she but then like just seemed like she was trying to immediately advance to a dominant position and lost it kind of immediately and after that she was throwing them thanks swapping that leather with jessica andrage and guess what happened she did not win what was she doing out there what did she think she was up to it did seem like her her striking has regressed, which I you don't see that a whole lot, especially it seemed like we were watching her make a, a steady, if not super rapid progression as a striker. But here it was like you could see her 
right from the beginning when she's throwing she's lifting her chin up that kind of like classic sort of novice striker mistake and you knew it's if she keeps doing that Jessica Andrade is a powerhouse she's gonna find it eventually I did think you know Dean Thomas got on the broadcast when they mid-fight and he was basically like whoever you know whoever had her move away from Jason Perillo as a striking coach is the one who ought to be fired because clearly his expertise is needed here. I I did think it was interesting. I saw this post-fight quote from her. This is from a bloody elbow story where she says, quote, I was unleashing anger. It's not only emotion, of course. I was motivated. I needed to win. I needed a bonus. I needed all the money I could get because of everything I was going through, the divorce, all that, and my desire to win since I was coming off a loss. I had anger and I was letting it all out, but I also evolved in this camp. I don't people don't want people to think it was only anger during the fight, unleashing it all on Angela, you know. Uh, I had a better idea of the sport now. The motivation in the sport was everything I'm going going through um but like or, or that actually might have been i don't know if Did that was for angela yeah that that might have been for the last fight or something but this one oh wait this is uh, uh okay we're going off an instagram post um uh, where she she again sense. though says that uh she has to learn to control her emotions i got caught in the emotional fight which wasn't the plan i wanted to do a lot but not get in big exchanges where it's risky um I, she does think, though, like the thing we heard in the broadcast was that she was or things we heard all week was she was thriving in the chaos, the chaos of being in this divorce, the her gym shutting down, all that kind of stuff, which I guess is something you got to tell yourself, right? If you're already dealing with the chaos, if the yeah. chaos is going to find you, whether you like it or not, you got to tell yourself, like, this chaos is good for me. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually thriving. great. I'm thriving and, on this. Yeah, I'm great in these kind of moments. And then you get in there, and especially with this, with the way her striking seemed to have taken backward steps, where it was just kind of like, it doesn't actually seem like that. It seems yeah. like maybe going through personal tor- turmoil and having the gym shut down and all that other stuff was maybe not great yeah. for preparing for this fight. I tell myself I'm thriving when I open up the cabinet and find that someone has already opened the chip bag. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, this is where I thrive. Uh, yeah, it did seem like there was a lot of upheaval in her training camp. The, you know, Ruka gym that she had been going to closed. I don't know what her ex- exit from Jason Perillo situation was. I don't know what the particulars were of that. I know I'd, I saw on Twitter today that maybe her new husband was kind of in charge of this camp or that she had uh, promoted him to some coaching position of, of authority for this camp. And I don't know, man. This was just a bad thing that happened from start to finish. You know, if she needed to win, if she needed to get the bonus money, if she needed all this other stuff, do what you're good at. Do the thing that you are one of the best in the UFC at. Don't do the thing that you are not great at, that you are only passable at. She did land some hard punches herself. I don't want to, you know, take that away from her. But at the same time, not good. Not a good strategy. All right. One more question this week from Dwayne is that dude. Who writes, okay. Diego Lopez is now 2-0 in the UFC since losing his short notice fight to Movsar Ivalev. Last night, he was a big underdog. I think underdog is what he's going for there. To Pat Sabatini and, and pretty much wrecked him. How high can this guy go? Now, Ben, you were talking a minute ago about our betting segment on the Power Hour over on Patreon. $20 we never want to see again. I had a parlay go on that had, had Pat Sabatini as part of it. And I thought, hey, he's a pretty big favorite. Don't feel that bad about tossing him in my parlay. The moment 
the moment that I realized that Diego Lopez was, in fact, the kid with the punk rock haircut from Alexa Grasso's <laughs> camp. I was like, I am fucked. I was just like, I might as well have taken the slip and flushed it down the toilet. Because immediately I was like, I'm screwed. Because this is the guy who, who wins. This is the guy who comes in as an underdog and wins. Even against Ivalev, he didn't win, but he did way better than everyone thought he was going to do. So if I had known that that was him, yeah. if that was See, the Diego the Lopez just, we were talking about, I would have bet on You just needed him. someone to tell you. you needed so, like When you were about to place that bet, you needed somebody to be like, wait, you are aware, though. That Diego Lopez is that fallout boy looking motherfucker with the emo haircut. And then you yeah. would have been like, oh, wait, now I do remember him. Now, now it's all coming back to me because that's, that's how I remember him. Just- yeah. Never, never bet against Diego Lopez is one of my rules. It's one of my rules now to my, to my defense though, this guy doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. So that, you know, and that's the extent of my research. If you don't have a Wikipedia page, I'm like, oh, this guy's going to lose. Doesn't have a Wikipedia page. At some point, though, in the last few years, the requirements as an MMA fighter to get a Wikipedia page must have changed, though. Because it just, these days, it seems to take a lot longer for somebody to get a Wikipedia page. And then some of the people you see who do have Wikipedia pages, you're like, I wouldn't have pegged him as a Wikipedia guy. Yeah. You know? Uh, to answer specifically, Dwayne is that dude's question. I think he can fly pretty pretty high. I'm not sitting here telling you he's going to be a champion, but he does come from a camp that kind of seems to keep stamping out champions out of the out of the factory there, rolling them down the assembly line, stamping out champions. But he seems he seems perennial perennially underrated, especially by me when I'm placing bets. Uh, and he just seems like he keeps overachieving every time out there. I think he is very tough. I think he is very good. I think that he can be very successful. I would say you're right. He's not going down easy. Might even be number one with a bullet. Loaded gun complex, Chad. Cock it and pull it. Jesus Christ. Wow. Did you just pull that out of your mind? That's right off. That's that's just in here. I don't I didn't know it was in here. I don't want it in here. It's just in this brain. Yeah, well, I apologize. I gotta for get that. it out somehow. On that note, you know how to email the podcast in the future if you want to. Go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. But we're gonna go ahead at this moment and get into round number one. Well, Ben, as I tweeted on Saturday night, two delightful Weirds Mobiles went out there to fight for the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship in the main event at UFC 295. And Alex Pereira emerges with the second round TKO victory over Yuri Prohaska. He is now your champion. He becomes one of, what is it, nine guys at this point? Nine people, excuse me, who have held UFC titles in multiple divisions Uh, He is obviously something of a phenom. His UFC career has not been that long. And yet here he is capturing titles in two different weight classes. I would, I would have asked you about the stoppage. I guess I will ask you about the stoppage. You didn't see it. First of all, in real time, because ESPN plus fucked you. Uh, But what'd you think? Once you got to see it, once you had to track it down, once you had to have somebody send you a VHS cassette tape with the stoppage on it, what'd you think when you saw it? 
you know, it's one of those stoppages where I can see what the ref is thinking because when a guy is taking those kind of shots and then you see him just sort of fall to his back, sort of bringing the other guy into full mount, that moment when you see him fall, you don't think anything good is happening with him. It seems like he's out. And out in a situation where he's about to take more shots, probably. But it also seemed like kind of when he hit, he was moving. I mean, he's at least doing something to defend. His arms weren't just like flat at his sides. So especially in that situation with experienced fighters, title on the line, I might have given him a second or two more to see if he was really in it or not. But then it definitely changed my perspective on it to hear that Yuri came out afterwards and was like, no, it was a good stoppage. Because, yeah. hey, shit, if he says that, he's got every reason to argue against it and to be a bad sport about it and to be like, no, the ref screwed me. I was biding my time. I was just about to spring the trap on this guy. And the ref stepped in there and, and robbed me of an opportunity. And yet for him to come out, it's not only like a pretty classy move and in a tough time to be a classy dude about it, but... That does make you think he he must have known that he was not with it in that moment. And therefore, you, you can't really argue with the stoppage so much if the one guy who has the most reason to argue about it declines to do so. Yeah, he's not helping the argument, right? Saying that, then Mark Goddard was right with the stoppage. Now, see, when I was watching it, and again, I have a different angle. I'm watching it on television, et cetera, et cetera. It seemed to me that Prohaska got knocked down but did not fall but it was Alex Pereira who pushed him over while attempting to obtain full mount. So I thought, I thought we were still going to go. Uh, I thought we were going to go on, maybe give Yuri some chance, some, some time to, to recover. He did in fact pass the, what the fuck test from where I was sitting. But again, if you're, if Prohaska's not going to back us up on that argument, it's kind of yeah. case closed. You kind of have to be done with it. You kind of have to move on. Uh, am I kind of an asshole in that I don't know that it's that impressive that you are a two division champion anymore? Am I just being a a jerk? Yeah, it's impressive. I mean, first of all, though, he's not he he's a two division champion in the sense that he now has been champion in two different divisions. He's not a two division champion in the sense of like he's got a belt. He's bored of cleaning out the division that he got right. the belt in, and so he goes to another one to get their belt too. Like that's usually what we mean when we say two division champion. You know, he had a belt, he lost that belt, then he went up and won a vacant belt. Granted, though, he did win it against a very recent former champion, and emphatically so. So, you got to give him credit for that. I do think, though, that it's interesting they noted how rare it is for somebody to be champion of those two divisions. Like, it's one thing to go featherweight, lightweight, right? Because, or something like that, you know, featherweight... Uh, bantamweight. It's ten to it's ten pound jump. Granted, a the, you know smaller percentage of the or larger percentage of total body weight with smaller guys, but to make the jump from one eighty five to two hundred five, that's a twenty pound leap. That is a big jump between weight classes to get there. So that is pretty impressive when you think about it. Um, and also it just makes you further reflect on how relatively little MMA experience Alex Pereira has. To have done that. Yeah. That's that tells you something about the guy. 
I guess. It just seems like his trajectory has been so short. He only won a couple of fights before he got the shot at Israel Adesanya because obviously they had the pre-existing beef from the kickboxing world. Then he won the first fight, then he lost it, then he moves up to light heavyweight. And he certainly got fast-tracked, right, into this title shot with the split decision win over Jan Blahovich and now the TKO over Yuri Prohaska. I guess he needs to prove to me that he's going to have more than a cup of coffee up there with the 205 pound title. And then I will be impressed. And look, I don't know if I like saying it because Alex Pereira seems like a sweet ass dude. He seems very likable to me. Uh, but I don't know. I'm just, it just seems like one of those things that was a novelty at the time, but now is just kind of, uh, just kind of passe to me. You know, what I did think was interesting, especially since we spent last week's power hour watching recent fights by both these dudes, including Alex Pereira's last fight against Jan Blahovich, his first one at light heavyweight in the UFC. And I know we're out here selling fights and talking up who we have on the card tonight, but I couldn't help but notice at one point in the UFC broadcast, they were talking, singing the praises of Alex Pereira, and they said something along the lines of, you know, he became the middleweight champion, then he went up to light heavyweight and beat up Jan Blahovich. Hmm. Those are the words they use, beat up Jan Blahovich. And I thought, well, <laughs> did he? Did though? he though? Did he though? Because we just though? watched that fight. He yeah. won a split decision. And we he didn't thought, beat him up. We thought, if I recall correctly, that Jan Blahovich could have gotten the nod on on second watch. Yeah, I could make a case for Jan Blahovich winning that fight. And you know who took exception to everything Alex Pereira on this night was Jan Blahovich. So yes, she actually got on the mic and was uh, was calling out Israel Adesanya, which, you know, they, they got a, a history together. But Jan Blahovich got on Twitter. Here's what he wrote. I know you're a slimy one calling out Izzy. Great performance and all, but STFU, we have unfinished business, you and I. The judges won't give you handouts next time. Pathetic. Wow. Now, he might have thought he was just going to close his phone and that was going to be it on this one. But I think he got some some blowback. And so he jumped on later to say, I see I need to clarify. <laughs> and then he writes, people see me that I'm a nice guy all the time. But sometimes I get pissed off like everyone in life. I'm still super angry that they stole my W against Pereira. Now he calls out Adesanya again. Give it a rest already. We've been there four times. Now, here's where I kind of got to agree with Yanni Blackjacks. Like, we, but we've seen that fight. We've seen it so damn much. Let's do some other stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing that we were right about is that we watched that Yuri Prohaska fight. And we were like, if he, if he goes with this style against Alex Pereira, where his hands are down at his waist and he's kind of charging in willy nilly. Uh, seeming to thrive in the chaos, to borrow a phrase mm-hmm. from Mackenzie Dern, we said, he's going to get knocked out. We said, I don't want to see him fight this way against Alex Pereira. I would like to see some takedowns, some top control, et cetera, et cetera. He did do a little of that. But it just kind of seems like Yuri Prohaska and his samurai top knot cannot help themselves. Then, yeah. folks, they get suckered into a firefight, and he did, in fact, get knocked out. So there is that. I'll say this. I thought it was a nice gesture. For Alex Pereira to invite Israel Adesanya up to 205 for oh, yeah. an immediate title shot. I, I, and I see that Israel Adesanya has declined the invitation, but I hope that he made a polite response to Alex Pereira's evite. Uh, because Israel Adesanya, he might be locked out of the picture for a little while down there at 185. But here he gets this opportunity. Hey, come up, come to the party I'm throwing. 
I just moved to 205. I'm the champ. I'm having a party. Come on over, Izzy. I thought that's that's sporting of this guy. That's a nice thing to do. He's a nice guy. I believe the way he phrased it was come to daddy. <laughs> it's just that's a nice offer to get to mm. go up there okay. and fight for the light heavyweight title. Now, the good news is there's some good matchups up there, light heavyweight. If Alex Pereira ends up fighting Jamal Hill, that's an awesome fight. That's going to be one that I will want to watch. Now, there is some question of when Jamal Hill will return. He's he's healthy enough to jump out of a bus and fight some street protesters. But when's he going to be so healthy he enough to fight Alex Pereira? And Alex Pereira does not necessarily seem like he wants to sit still. It seems like yeah. he wants to fight again. So we might mix in some other fights uh, before we get to Jamal Hill. So that's where we are at at light heavyweight at the moment. Yeah. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, what is your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, at the risk of making this episode sound like just a scorched earth assault on ESPN+. Plus, Oh, God. <laughs> the two things you want to talk about this week are your own bets and how ESPN Plus fucked you in the main event of UFC 295. This time, I'm, what I'm annoyed about is ESPN Plus loves to make it sound like they are extending you a special offer. That's right, they do. <laughs> when they are not. I go to buy the UFC 295 pay-per-view, and they are like, hey, would you like to also add on a purchase of the next UFC pay-per-view, UFC 296? And I'm going, oh, okay, is there a thing where if I purchase it now, like I bundle them together, I get like a deal? No, no. It's the same price. It's fucking full price. They're just like, would you like to go ahead and buy the next one for no reason right now? And this is the same thing that they do. If you go on ESPN Plus at all on the week of a UFC pay-per-view, you will see the first thing right up top is that like the buy now button on the upcoming pay-per-view, which do you think I don't know this sport? Do you think that I'm a, a newbie here or a bitch-ass casual that I don't know how this sport can be sometimes? You don't want to buy a pay-per-view early. <laughs> Anything could happen. You, especially asking me to buy a pay-per-view before weigh-ins have even happened? Bro, why would I do that? Because any fight could still fall out. The entire lineup could be reshuffled. We've seen that happen on fight day. Plus... If you're not offering me any incentive at all to buy a pay-per-view early, why would I do it? Am I concerned that you're going to run out? Am I concerned that the supplies are limited? No. This is not that kind of a resource, man. That's not the kind of thing you're selling. There's not a single reason for me to do that. So if you're going to even bother to try to get me to pay for some of this stuff in advance... Why don't you offer me something? Offer me five bucks off. Something, man. Something just to feel like you at least respect my intelligence. Are you fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? They absolutely do not respect your intelligence. No, they don't. Ben, Dana White will absolutely not stop talking about the sphere. Yeah. I swear to God, every time I turn around, I see a story on one of the MMA websites that has Dana White talking about the goddamn sphere. 
Are you fucking kidding me? This week, here he is. I'm looking at a Damon Martin story. This is from one of the UFC 295 media events, the post-fight press conference. He says, Mexican Independence Day, we are booked for the sphere. We are already working on the creative for that show. Everybody keeps saying to me, I don't understand how you're going to put the octagon in there. I don't understand how you're going to do this. I don't understand how you're going to do that. Now you see what he's doing here, right? He is trying to make it seem like an insurmountable task that he he will surmount. Already doing the Dana White thing. He's setting the stage for the Dana White thing where after they do a show at the sphere, he can be like, Nobody thought we could do it. Everybody said we couldn't couldn't do it. it. Yeah, you know what? We pulled it off right in front of the naysaying media. Are you fucking kidding me? Nobody is saying that. No. Nobody fucking cares except you. Go to the sphere. Don't go to the sphere. Nobody <laughs> gives a shit, man. Every UFC show looks exactly the same anyway. It's the same no matter where they are. They could be in Madison Square Garden. They could be in LA. They could be in Abu Dhabi. It's the same shit. It's the fucking McDonald's of MMA. You walk in there. It doesn't matter what town or what country you're in. It's the fucking same. Nobody cares if you go to the sphere or not. Are you fucking kidding me? Let's go on record right now as the CME to get out in in advance of the argument that the media said it couldn't be done and say, <laughs> I believe you could do it. Yeah, I, I believe. 100% believe that the UFC could put on a UFC event in the sphere. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's going to be event company can go to the sphere and put on a live event as you have been doing for 20 fucking years all over the globe. You can do it. I believe in you, UFC. He also had said in these same quotes about how the the event, he, he said, uh, I am going to put on the greatest live combat sports show anybody has ever seen. He says, even before he says, remember that I said this to you tonight. I'm going to put on the greatest <laughs> live combat sports show anybody has ever seen, you know, meaning in the sphere, which, okay. I mean, we were very complimentary about it when the UFC did something at least a little bit different for the Noche UFC event this past year. We'd love to see you go and do that. But do you ever notice how when it comes to touting great success or promising great success, it's I. It's always I from the UFC president. As if the UFC does not have an extremely large and extremely hardworking staff that they work frankly to death regularly to put on these events. Like they're the ones going to have to do the shit in the sphere and actually make sure that all that stuff happens. And if it doesn't happen exactly the way that they want it to, I don't think Dana White's going to show up and be like, I screwed this one up. You know how much he loves to point to the guys in the truck or the production people. Somebody else always screws it up. But I am going to put on the greatest live combat show anybody has ever seen. I hope you do. I hope you do. I would love to watch. I'd love to see you do something a little creative and a little different. And if it's in the sphere, which you seem to have an instant fascination with, so be it. Yeah. No one is saying it can't be done. Yeah. It could totally be done. It can be done. We believe in you, UFC. I just don't care. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, wait, Chad. Tom Aspinall is the interim UFC heavyweight champ, isn't it? Big meaty man slapping meat, isn't it? (laughs) Went and knocked out Sergei Pavlovich, didn't he? Wow. Yeah. No, he did. Boy. Is that it? Are you did that all you got? It's Tuesday, isn't it? (laughs) No. It's actually Monday. This is one. This is one where I, I, I saw somebody else talk about talk about a stream freezing or something. <laughs> Imagine if you watch these guys, they're throwing punches, big meaty men slapping meat, throwing that leather. And then when the screen comes back on, you see Sergey Pavlovich laid out on his back, Tom Aspinall laid out on his face, <laughs> and you're going, wait, what? <laughs> uh, it's a double Did they knockout. both die? Yeah. Like, what has happened here? Because yeah. he... He dropped Sergey Pavlovich, followed up. You could tell before he even got to follow up, this one's probably over. Yeah. I don't think Sergey's bouncing back from this one. And then immediately walked over and overcome by emotion, which I think we got a little bit better perspective on after the fight when Tom Aspinall led us behind the curtain. Here's where I really appreciate this guy because it feels like Tom Aspinall is, is sort of speaking to us all on, on terms we can understand. When... He was asked about it after the fight, and he revealed that he had a back injury that made it so that he was already sort of unable to train when they come to him with this short notice offer of, hey, do you want to step in, fight Sergei Pavlovich for the interim heavyweight title? And he says, yeah, basically knowing you will not have any sort of training camp, not just an abbreviated training camp, that you won't really be able to do one. He was like, I wasn't in the best shape, honestly, basically figuring two heavyweights that don't go very late into their fights. We're probably going to settle this thing one way or another early on. And somebody asked him, did it ever occur to you after you had accepted this fight that, that maybe this is dumb, this is a dumb thing to do. And he was immediately like, yep, that's exactly (laughs) what I thought when I was sitting at home, I was just like, maybe this is super, super dumb to do it, but you know what? I'm going to take the chance and I'm going to do it. And it really worked out. You can see how with all that going on, you win that fight, the emotions would be running pretty high. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's good to see someone let that kind of emotional outpouring happen inside the cage and happen on the cameras in a sport where uh, these are the biggest, toughest guys in the world. Uh, and it was nice to see this happen for Tom Aspinall, who has obviously suffered the knee injury and some other kind of adversity on his way up here. Uh, this was kind of a, as much as these heavyweight bangers can be back and forth affairs. This one sort of was as long as it lasted. Sergey Pavlovich landed a couple of hard shots, seemed to stun Tom Aspinall. Aspinall comes back, ends up finishing, uh, Sergey Pavlovich, et cetera, et cetera. I guess two of the two things that struck me here is that I thought that if Tom Aspinall was going to win, it was going to be his quickness. And I think that that was sort of true. The other thing is like I have in my mind, in my mind brain, like, oh, Sergey Pavlovich, he's a hulking knockout artist heavyweight. And Tom Aspinall, he's a he's an athletic guy. He's, a, you know, you know, move around and he's going to like slip and slide and be fast and quick. And it's like, nope, Tom Aspinall is also fucking huge. 
when you see them yeah. out there next to each other, just as big as Sergei Pavlovich. He's six foot five, 265 pounds. So he's that, and he's also really quick and athletic. That's a, uh, that's a potent combination there for Mr. Aspinall. Yeah, I mean, when you see a big man that can move at the heavyweight division in MMA, for one thing, right there. You're already ahead of 90% of the people. You know, a, a big man who is athletic, who is, is a little bit light on his feet, right there, you know, you already got to step up. But then when you go, okay, there's a guy who can knock you out and a guy who, you know, isn't afraid to take you down and maybe work a ground game too. I know normally we think of these things as the requirements to be good at MMA. <laughs> but at heavyweight... Those are the, the things that really set you apart. And, Chad, as if all that were not enough, let me just sit here and remind you, Thomas Paul Aspinall is 30 years old. Yeah, that's which like is a, a baby. baby. That's a baby it's, for heavyweight. It is a goddamn infant in heavyweight MMA terms. And he seems to realize it too, especially when they're asking, him, hey, do you think there'll be a rematch with Sergey? And he was like, at some point, definitely, because I'm 30, he's 31 or whatever. We're both, we could both be at this for a while, and he's probably still going to be pretty good. So, yeah, we're probably going to see each other again. You know, it's the kind of stuff that makes you sort of excited about the future at heavyweight, which is not always the case. That's true. And to that end, we got this email from Aljamain Copper that I wanted I get, to read. Okay. See what we're going to, we're still going to, we're just going to keep doing this thing with Aljamain and precious metals after. I mean, I, I understand. I understand what we're doing, but okay. I mean, person's got a gimmick. I like it. Yeah. Aljamain Copper writes, subject line, should Albuquerque be on high alert? Then they write, I can only imagine what must be going through John Jones's head watching Aspinall and Pereira receive the belts he never lost. Just Ooh. kind of a good point about John Jones right now. He's He tweeted a thing that was like, eh, good job, Tom Aspinall, nice performance, whatever. But you know it's burning him up inside. You know mm -hmm. that it's... It's absolutely searing into his brain right now that there's a light heavyweight champion and an interim heavyweight champion, neither of whom are him, despite the fact that he is still the actual UFC heavyweight champion, but he is on the shelf. He is recovering from his own pec injury, and he's still slated to go out there and fight Stipe Miocic. That'll be a title fight, but it won't be against any of these young hitters. So I'm wondering what John Jones is thinking right now. Not only should I go park across the street from a strip club and fire my gun out the window. But is he thinking, I'm never going to fight these guys. I will never be around long enough to fight Tom Aspinall and Sergei Pavlovich. I'm just going to take care of Stipe Miocic and then we'll go from there. Or is he thinking, let me get my hands on these guys. Let me get my hands on these young whippersnappers and I will teach them a thing or two. Isn't it so hard to imagine knowing what we know about John Jones and his personality that he might be sitting around thinking, Never going to have to worry about it. Never going to have to worry about any of these dudes. And I'm fine with that. Like that just, that would be, for one thing, I would support him. <laughs> if that were his take on it, I'd be like, yeah, hey, that's smart. Make one big payday against Stipe and peace up out of here before these dudes can show you that maybe uh, the page has turned and you are not that guy anymore. Because uh, we've seen that. We've seen that far more than we've seen the opposite. We've seen people hang on too long and see the next generation come up and uh, hurt them. And so 
if that were his take on it, I'd be like, yeah, hey, that's what GSP would do. WWGSPD. He would be like, nope, not trying to fuck around with these guys. Let me take the big money and let me get up out of here and go dig up some dinosaur bones. And I just don't know if I see John Jones being that kind of person. Yeah. Like everything we know about him leads you to believe that he might not say it now. He might not even feel it now. But if people keep talking about how Tom Aspinall is the man at heavyweight and by the time he's healthy enough to run the steep bait fight, everybody's just kind of going like, well, we really are thinking about Tom Aspinall now. We're Tom Aspinall is the new hotness. <laughs> I think that would just burn John Jones up. I agree. I agree. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, what has been rumored to be the last event of the Bellator MMA era, Bellator 301, is coming up this week, November 17th, at the Trust Arena in Chicago, Illinois. There's actually some interesting stuff going on on this card. Yamaslav Amasov defends his welterweight title against Jason Jackson. Sergio Pettis and Patchy Mix are going to have a bantamweight uh, title unification bout. Rufion Stotts is going to fight Danny Sabatello. AJ McKee is going to fight Sydney Outlaw. And then at the bottom of the main card, Patricky Pitbull is going to fight Alexander Shabili in what is being billed as a Bellator lightweight World Grand Prix semifinal. You and I had discussed on, this on. over on the Patreon that there is likely there are there are two no more Bellator things than having your last event potentially be Bellator three hundred and one, and there's no more Bellator thing than having a lightweight Grand Prix where the finals get set and then it's never finished. Yeah, it's just unbelievable how Bellator this is all going down. Well, and the other thing that's pretty Bellator about it is having a million fights on the card. I know this is the old strike force model that Scott Coker developed of, you know, we'll have a normal five fight card for TV or whatever. And then we will have a 15 fight prelim where we get a bunch of local people who can sell tickets at their gym and stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure it works to some extent, but it also makes it so that when you look at the page, you look at the topology page and you're just like, I feel like I'm scrolling forever trying to find the bottom of this fight card. 18 fights on the docket for Bellator 301. Now, obviously the rumor is Bellator about to get sold to the PFL. We don't totally know what that will mean in terms of the PFL taking over the Bellator intellectual property. We don't know what it means for PFL potentially to take over the Bellator contracts that has not really been publicized or or worked out in any way that that we know for sure. But Bellator and on this card alone has some guys that I think would be like interesting pickups, not the least of which at the top of the card is Yaroslav Amasov, who you'll remember is the Ukrainian guy who had to go back over and be in the war for a while. 
Now he is over here back, going to defend his Bellator title. Here is a guy, Ben Folks, who is 30 years old, and he is 27-0 and 0 as a professional MMA fighter. If I were the PFL, that would be a guy I would think about locking up. I would also yeah. think about locking up AJ McKee. 28-year-old, obviously the son of Antonio McKee, 20-1. and one. He had that one loss to Patricio Pitbull, uh, but has otherwise been spotless in his MMA career. I would think about Sergio Pettis, who is 30, obviously the brother of Anthony Pettis, has really come into his own while he was in Bellator. Patchy Mix is also 30. He's been on a run. He's got, I think, six wins in a row in Bellator. Uh, Danny Sabatello, 30. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Danny Sabatello, the Italian gangster. The Italian gangster can talk a good game. He is one and two in his last three, but now he goes out there against Ralphion Stotts uh, in a fight that could kind of get him back on track. You know, everywhere you look on this uh, on this particular fight card, there's guys that you might want to think about picking up. And I don't think that we should lose sight of that, that there's good, there, there have always been good fighters in Bellator. And now that there may be a glut of free agents about to hit the streets. It will be interesting to see where these guys land. Yeah, it will be. And it's got to be an interesting time to be a fighter on a fight card like this, right? Because you're sort of like, well, if, uh, if we're going out of business, here's a time when I'd really like to be coming off a win so that whatever happens next, I'm in a better situation. It's kind of like you ever see, I think it was a 30 for 30 about uh, all the the recruiting violations at TCU, I believe it was, and how when the program was shut down and the players were given permission that they could transfer and play right away. And they said, you walk around campus the next day. And if you were a dude who even just looked like you played football, there were coaches from a dozen different schools stopping you on campus to be like, so what are your plans? <laughs> Feels like you got a bunch of guys coming off of this fight card who might be in that that same sort of similar situation for looking ahead to what their MMA future may hold. Yeah, and especially I would think that it would help to hit the streets as a current champion, even if Bellator is not going to exist anymore. If you are Yaroslav Amosov, helps to be undefeated. At 20 and 0 and uh, how about a grand prix finalist yeah well that's interesting right you got the uh you will uh, in theory have the grand prix finals set here the winner of patricky pitbull and alexander shabili will be slotted in the finals against uh usman nurbagamedov in the finals of the uh heavyweight or i'm sorry lightweight tournament but uh wasn't he wasn't he just banned six months from competition, not stripped of his title? Uh, yeah, we were told failed a drug test, but it wasn't doping is what they're the fine line we're trying to draw there. Right. So that just happened this week, though, correct? Like those yeah. that story hit the hit the streets this week at the headlines. Uh, so even if you do have a lightweight Grand Prix final set, you're going to be waiting a little while for it. I don't know how long it will take to sort all this stuff out. I don't know if. Uh, PFL will come out November 18th and be like, hey, guess what? We just got all these fighters. We bought Bellator. We're going to set the cage on fire uh, ceremonially outside the arena at our next event. Uh, there can be only one, and it is the smart cage. But uh, I don't know. It's interesting <laughs> stuff. We'll, just, we'll see where these guys land, and uh, I guess we'll go from there. If you had to lay money on it, 
do we see the end of the Bellator lightweight Grand Prix, even if it has to happen in another organization? No. It's not going to happen. I'd say you got a better chance of seeing that cage set on fire ceremoniously. (laughs) Which, by the way, if they tell me, uh, tune in. Next show, we're setting the cage on fire. I'd be like, okay, I'll I'll watch that. There's something I haven't seen before in MMA. Mm -hmm. All right, that's going to do it here. Let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, John Kavanaugh was on the MMA Hour today talking to our friend Ariel Helwani. And I didn't transcribe the quote verbatim, but one of the things he said on this appearance was, Conor McGregor is now expected to return to the UFC in the summer. So this week, I'm just saying, I don't believe you. (laughs) First, he was supposed to come back at this MSG show or the end of the year. Then we heard, oh, he's going to come back in the spring. And now we're saying, uh, he's, you know, we're going to, he's coming back in the summer. I don't believe you. You are not helping me feel more confident that Conor McGregor ever returns to the UFC if you keep pushing it back, if you keep pushing back the return, I'm seeing pictures of him, him and Brennan Lochnane training together, late night rounds, proper trenches, they say. But if you don't have something on the books, actually cross that out. Call me when he's walking to the cage. Yeah. And then I'll believe it. Call me when Conor McGregor is walking to the cage. Otherwise, don't tell me spring, summer, November, 2025, whenever. Just don't tell me because I don't believe you. I'm just saying. Just saying. Well, Chad, I don't know if you saw uh, ESPN has a, a big story by Mark Raimondi out today about looking ahead at the UFC's future. It's called Examining UFC's Future After 30 Years of Fights. As UFC, as the gloves have been reminding us for a while, celebrating 30 years of operations uh, this year and this month especially. And, you know, Mark Raimondi is going to be the guy who, uh, you know, you do a story on the UFC's future for ESPN, their broadcast partner, it's got to have a friendly bent. But Mark Raimondi is a good enough journalist. He's going to slip some real stuff in there. He's going to make sure we talk about how maybe the UFC is paying its athletes as little as 13% of the revenue. And we're going to talk about if that is just going to continue indefinitely. We're going to squeeze that into the middle of this, uh, you know, very exhaustive story. I'm just saying, though, I would like to direct your attention to the last couple paragraphs of the story where we're talking to Lawrence Epstein about... What the USC has done in terms of international expansion, all the road to the UFCs and how, you know, performance institutes in other countries, all that different stuff that the USC is doing to try to spread the gospel all over the place. Lawrence Epstein talking, he notes the WWE has a lot of fans in India. He says there's going to be opportunities for us to leverage that type of stuff to grow our business in India. He cites the size of their crowds every time they go to Australia. And we're going to finish on this quote uh, I believe this one coming from David Shaw there where he, where he says, quote, in 30 years, Shaw said, I see it, meaning the UFC, surpassing soccer. Which I'm just saying, Chad, we're still doing this. We're still we're still doing this shit, huh? We've been doing this for basically about as long as I have been following the UFC and MMA talking about how any day now. This is going to be 
the most popular sport in the world. Coming after football, coming after basketball, coming after soccer. And the UFC has been tremendously financially successful. But I don't know if I look around and see it as being anywhere among the top four or five sports in the U.S., much less globally. Now, this story does make the point that the UFC and MMA are probably better positioned than a lot of other North American-based sports to appeal to foreign audiences because you you don't have to explain the intricate inner workings of baseball to somebody who is just going to look at you like you're an idiot. It's, it's a lot simpler to understand. I think that is absolutely true. I also think there are some people who just don't want to see that much blood and don't want to see people kneeing each other in the face and kicking each other in the balls and poking each other in the eyeballs. Yeah, That's not for everybody, and that's okay. It's not going to be for everybody. I'm just saying... Do we have to endlessly keep making this claim? Is it just not enough to be tremendously financially successful? To be making more and more money every year and getting to keep almost all of it? Isn't that enough? Do we have to keep pretending like it's going to be the world's biggest sport when we know it's not? And that's fine. I'm just saying. saying. You're also asking me to imagine a year 2053 where we're out here still doing this shit. Yeah. I'm just saying, just take it easy, man. Yeah. Just take it easy. Just sit back, let the broken ATM keep spitting out money at you. You don't have to be bigger than soccer. The UFC won't be around in 30 years, dude. Come on. you and None I of us are going to be around in 30 years, yeah. let's be real. You and I will both be dead, so it won't matter, but I'm just saying. All right, that's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. Remember, we'll be over on Patreon all week, chopping it up, patreon.com slash co-main event vent check us out over there as for the rest of you we'll talk to you next week we are done we are through we are out i'm i'm limping across the finish line i know i can you're just you're fading over here not gonna make it but you know what everybody said you couldn't do it they said you (laughs) weren't gonna make it they said you couldn't do it the scumbags in the media and you put it right in their faces i'm the right now i'm going to produce a super cut of mm-hmm. all of the lion-ass scumbag journalists who said Ben Folks's fucking fading-ass voice wasn't going to make it through this podcast, and I'll be like, in your face, you dumb motherfuckers. That's right. I will just be nodding along because I can't speak <laughs> anymore. <laughs>